Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion team. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 non-stop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is green and gold history. 50 plus years of stories, championships, and colorful characters. This is A's Baseball. This is Green and Gold History. Happy to be joined by another Hall of Famer. That is the great pitcher Jim Palmer, of course, inducted in 1990. So many great things that you did throughout your career. Now broadcaster with the Orioles. But as you think in your career, what stands out as the one thing that impressed you the most about the career that you had? That I picked the Orioles. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's funny. I, I got out of high school. I think I was 10-0. and 0. Uh, you know, five, probably five no-hitters, um, led the state in scoring in basketball, caught 65 passes. So I wanted to really go um, probably to ASU. I had a, a, a basketball scholarship to uh, UCLA. But at the time, uh, you, you know, Jabbar hadn't played there, or Lou Alcindor it really is what he was. Um, so Arizona State actually had a better program. Now they had a great baseball program, eventually Reggie and – Abando mm-hmm. and Monday, you know, a lot of the guys that the, certainly the A's know about right. would would go there. But so I got out of high school and I was going to play American Legion baseball. And Bobby Winkles, who was a coach at ASU, said, "You know, you're going to waste your summer. Mm-hmm. I have four uh, uh, guys from ASU: Skip Hancock, who would sign with the Dodgers right. for I don't know eighty eighty thousand dollars. Louis Lagunas, who was a second baseman, All American. Sam Cook, Tony Alessi, who was from Cleveland, <laughs> a catcher. And they go, you know, they're going up to this." college league mm-hmm. in, in South Dakota, a little town winner, South Dakota, mm-hmm. in the Basin League. Mm-hmm. Now, you'll have to go up and make the team, but uh, and it happened to be sponsored by the Orioles, so I went up there and uh, I didn't get to hit. I was I got a stigmatism. I was probably one of the better hitters in, in, in uh, Arizona, and then I got a stigmatism going into my senior year, so balls I used to, <laughs> to foul, you know, used to hit a long way, I would foul off, and so I go up to the college league, and, you know, Jim Lomberg was mm-hmm. on that team. Three years later, he'd be a Cy Young Award winner, Merv Rettman, Bobby Floyd actually out of UCLA was a shortstop. He would eventually, when I pitched my no-hitter against the A's in 69, he was playing shortstop that night. Or we were, didn't even take him out for defense. And the ninth <laughs> with Belanger on the bench, that's when I knew he really didn't like me. Um, so I went up there and I did well. The Orioles sponsored the team. Jim Russo was one of the uh, head scouts. Um, so every time he would come in, I'd go get him in Pierce, South mm-hmm. Dakota, which is about 70 miles. So he'd get to know me, and then I'd take him back to the airport. By the end of the summer, and we had a pretty good team, um, I went back to Arizona. Paul Richards uh, was running the Houston Astros. He came in, uh, actually got me to pitch. I was supposed to pitch a 5 o'clock 
uh, doubleheader game, the, the first game of a doubleheader. He got it moved up to noon because he had, he, had, he wanted to get out of Winter South Dakota. <laughs> That's how powerful he was. You know, I pitched pretty well, hit a home run, and he said, I'm going to come to your house. I'm going to leave two contracts, one for $48,000 without a college scholarship, one for forty with a college scholarship. Just send them back. So he, he comes to, to my house, and you know, my parents go, geez, that was, was kind of uh, brusque. And then Jim Wilson, and who had been, he was a scout for the Orioles, he had been working on my parents all summer, and Jim Russo come in, and, and my parents said, you know, I think you should sign with the Orioles. Now, the next day, 10 teams called, because wow. I got back mm-hmm. in a hurry uh, from, from winter South Dakota. It says Scottsdale, Arizona. Best thing I ever happened. Uh, you know, I mean, I uh, played for Kyle Ripken my first year. Uh, you know, it was almost an all-star team. We won 14 in a row in spring training. I went back to South Dakota, Aberdeen, South Dakota. We won 25 of the first 29. Outscored the opposition by t- 20 runs. Mark Belanger, who would win eight gold That's gloves, right. was a shortstop. And, um, you know, the next year I was in the big leagues. What a great memory. I mean, there's always one thing about you. You've had the memory. When you say the Orioles and the Oriole way, you were with the Orioles your career. What did that mean to you to be with them your entire career? Well, you played. I assume you played in A ball. I know you, you know, I mean, I can't, I only spent one year in the minors other than when I hurt my shoulder. So we're on the field in Aberdeen, South Dakota. You know, you're making $500, right. $414.14 after taxes, getting $3 a day meal money. You're taking, you know, 10, 12, 14 hour bus trips. Um, you're living in a basement. Uh, when it rains, maybe it'll flood a little <laughs> bit. Uh, didn't even have a mirror in the bathroom. So I still remember right before opening day, we're all out on the field, and it's pretty cold. And Cal Ripken said, number one, the only reason we're here, and he pointed to the empty stands, is because of the people that come to see us play. So we need to play the game the right way. He said, we're not going to let it, ever let anybody outwork you. Work ethic is one of the most important things you can do. We're going to come to the ballpark every day, get a little bit better, you know, individually and collectively, because we want to go to the next level. We're going to have fun, which meant we're going to win. Right. Um, and there are no such things as shortcuts. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about that. I mean, you know, it, and that goes back to work ethic. It goes to PEDs, uh, all the things that, you know, baseball's had to deal with. But when you're 18 years old, mm-hmm. and, you know, this is, I mean, the, the father of Cal Ripken sure. uh, Jr., who would play, what, 20, <laughs> you know, over 2,600 consecutive games. Of course, Cal's only four at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're 18 years old. You listen sure. and you pay attention, and it's just amazing how um, you know the Oriole way, and that's what what it was. Just mm-hmm. don't let anybody outwork you, and you know have fun, play hard, get a little bit better every day. It doesn't matter what profession yeah. you're in. You know, you had a great cast of players around you. I mean, a great pitcher again. What 268 wins, sub three earn run average. I mean, that's pretty impressive over the course of your career. Having the team that you had on the field. How much did that help you as a pitcher, kind of in a sense that the defense was there? You talk about Mark Belanger, Brooks Robinson, all these guys. How much did that help you as a pitcher, having those guys behind you? Well, it wasn't only that, Ray. I, I, you know, the fact that we had such great pitching staffs. Right. Um, you, 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 know, you know a little bit, you know, catching some of the great A's pitchers. Um, I mean, you weren't there when Vita came up in 71. But, you know, you, you know, you had Catfish and, you know, you had Holtzman. I mean, you know, you just had a bunch of guys. So if I didn't win on Monday, I knew Guerra McNally. Um, you know, in 71, we had 420 game winners. They they would do their job. Mm-hmm. So it was – and you always wanted to be better than them. So they kind of set a standard. But as far as – when I got to the Orioles, I roomed with Robin Roberts. Now, Robin had about 270 wins. <laughs> I didn't have any. He was 38. I was 19. I used to put him to sleep asking him <laughs> questions. He'd go, kid, i got to get my rest. I'm 38 years old. I'm trying to win 300, as it turned out. Go to good start, and then he didn't pitch well. 
Um, he asked for his release and went, went down to Houston to try to win 300 games, which he didn't accomplish, but I think he got about 286 wins. So he taught me everything about pitching, even though he knew that I'd probably take his, his place. I sat in the bullpen with Stu Miller, one of the great change-up pitchers of all time. Charlie Lau would go on to be one of the great hitting instructors. He was one of the backup catchers. I mean, you know, Harvey Haddix. I mean, we just had really good yeah. players. You know, Louis Aparicio, people forget that he was a shortstop when, when I got mm-hmm. to the big league 65 and then on our World Series team in 66. He's in the Hall mm-hmm. of Fame. Brooks had 16 gold gloves, Hall of Fame. Right. Frank Robinson would come in 66, win the Triple Crown, you know, uh, hit 49 home runs, too, in the World Series. Mm-hmm. He's in the Hall of Fame. I would play with Eddie Murray with uh, over, you know, 3,000 hits and 500 home runs. Cal, uh, I was actually playing when he started the streak. <laughs> I had Paul Blair with eight gold gloves. I had Bobby Gritch. I had Davey Johnson. I had Boog Powell that won the MVP in 70 and uh, second place in 69. Don Buford, the best leadoff guy in baseball, for, you know, when we won 109, 108, and 101 games. So you're getting the message sure. that I didn't get the, the Cooperstown by myself. You know, and then we had Earl Weaver who wanted me to be perfect, which I couldn't <laughs> quite pull off. So it was like... You know, we have the Preakness here every May. And, uh, you know, <laughs> playing for Earl Weaver was like coming down the stretch at the Preakness, you know, <laughs> trying to win it. He'd have the whip out, and, and it wouldn't even be yeah. middle of the spring training. So, you know, Earl was a very demanding guy. He never shook my hand. He just didn't believe in that. <laughs> but he wanted you, uh, you know, I pitched 320 innings, t- 10 shutouts. Why didn't you pitch 11? Why didn't you pitch wow. 330 innings? So that was him. But yeah. I guess in retrospect, um, he, uh, he gave me the ball every four days, and that's pretty important. You know, and I want to talk about the four-man rotation because in 71, you alluded to the fact that you had four 20-game winners. Last time it's ever happened, it will never happen again because you guys in the four-man rotation, but Dobson, Cuellar, McNally, and yourself. How special was that? You, you talked about you want to be better in the next day or whatever, but having four guys, do the math. 20 wins, that's 80 wins of 162 games, and, and obviously you guys were successful, but what was it like pitching on a team that you knew that all of you guys were that good? Well, we also pitched 72 complete games. Uh, wow. George Bamberger was a terrific pitching coach. He had been my minor league uh, pitching coach when I came through the minor leagues in 64. And um, I walked 130 and 129 innings. So they said, mm-hmm. you might have a chance because we might have to protect you to be in the big leagues. So I went to instructional league for seven weeks. I worked on my balance and my windup. He taught me to throw a ball low and away to a righty, or at least attempt mm-hmm. to. You know, you got to load. you got to get over your front side. you got to be able to extend all the things they talk about now in the analytics. Um, <laughs> but if you can throw a ball down and away to a righty, you can throw it anyway because you have to be in control of your front side of your windup. So, um, you know, George had his hat. He had four, four little hash marks and then a slash across mm-hmm. it. And we said, George, what is that? He goes, well, if you guys pitch 50 complete games, I get a $5,000 raise. Wow. He didn't have that. He was just lying. Yeah. He was just wanted us to pitch complete <laughs> games. So we pitched 72. But like I said, you know, Cuellar, we got him from, uh, you know, we got him from the Houston mm-hmm. Astros in 69. He won 100, 139 games in, wow. in seven years. I mean, if you do the math, sure. he won one side, should have won another one. He won 24 games. And our one of our writers didn't even give him a third uh, place uh, a vote because he was from Cuba and, and he didn't care about the writers. So, uh, but he was terrific. Now he won 20 games four times. Pat Dobson, one of the great guys of yeah. all time, came over from San Diego and won 20 games. And then we traded Frank Robinson and everybody tried too hard in 72. Uh, so, but again, I mean, it's just, it was comfort. Um, you know, you know. now, I mean, I'm looking at the A's. They had eight, eight relievers. The Orioles have eight relievers. We used to have four starters and, you know, sometimes nine early in the year uh, because we had some off days, and then we'd go to 10-man staff. 
our tenth guy was a guy by the name of Davey Leonard who went to Hopkins. He was the only major league player that ever went to Johns Hopkins. Great guy. He was 66 and 21 in the minor leagues, and he had trouble making the Orioles. So the the game has changed a little bit like that. It's not to uh, impugn any of the, the modern day pitchers. But, you know, we're standing on the bench talking to Andrew Kashner, and he goes, how did you ever pitch all those innings? He said, I've, I've, I feel horrible now. And I go, you just don't know what you could do. Right. And that, that brings up a good point because, you know, and looking at your numbers throughout your great career, you had the 300-inning seasons. You had 290-plus. So, so you did that. What is so different about today's pitchers that they're in a five-man, maybe six-man rotation to get 100 pitches? I'm sure they didn't even count pitches when you, were, when you were pitching. But what is the difference from the standpoint of when you pitched in a four-man rotation versus what you're seeing now in at least a five? Well, you know, they have all the, you know, the modern high-speed high cameras, the, the Rapsodo cameras, which um, I used to play a lot of golf with Jim Cott. Now, you know, he's one of the great guys, but he also won 283 games and 16 straight gold gloves. And we used to always talk about – I don't care how hard you throw. Didn't you think pitching was feel and touch? But it's a lot easier to have feel or touch when you pitch every fourth day. You know, if you pitch in a five-man rotation, you know, Atlanta had some, you know, you got Glavin in the Hall of mm-hmm. Fame, Smoltz in the Hall of Fame, Maddox, 355 wins in the Hall of Fame. But they used to throw two times before their starts. Mm-hmm. And, and why did Leo Mazzoni have them do that? Well, first of all, Johnny, Johnny Sane told him to get mm-hmm. them to throw two times because you want to feel the ball. You want to know how it comes off of your fingers. You want to feel your breaking ball. You want to, you know, now they, they figure, well, if we can analytically on a, <laughs> a high-speed camera say, well, you know, you're a good slider, you were underneath it, and you were on top with your two fingers, and your thumb was underneath underneath but we used to throw enough that you actually knew that right. so you know you you know you could throw the you know the strike to ball slider you could pitch to both sides of the plate when you missed you know not always but most of the time you would miss out of the middle of the plate but when I got in the Hall of Fame I said you know one of my biggest fears um, about this game because the year I got in I mean Mantle's there hmm. uh, DiMaggio's there Stan the Musial's there Ted Williams is there you know, the great, some of the greatest plays ever, you know. And, uh, and I said the only reason I tried to be as good as I was because they set these impeccably, right. impeccably high standards. And it's not that there are not a lot of great players because there are. I mean, you know, the Mike Trouts of the world, they exist. Uh, you know, smile on his face, can play every day, you know, actually looks like he enjoys what he's doing. You know, no flair, doesn't take his helmet when on a double off his head like Harper does at first base. I mean, uh, you know, maybe some people and this <laughs> they think that's special. Um, but and, and it's not that he's not a good player. It's just guys were ball players, you know. And, and my point was, if you pay more for less, what are you going to get? Yeah. You know, it's like a car salesman. You know, a guy sells 75 Mercedes. Next year, the dealer comes to him. He says, God, you had a great year. I'm just going to pay you up front for selling 75 <laughs> cars. He's probably not going <laughs> right. to sell 75 cars. So, you know, again, I, talking to Andrew Castor with you on the bench, I said, I won 20 games eight out of nine years. You know, and of course, I was good. I did my work. I was in shape, but I also played on really good teams. Um, and you set a certain standard, and you try to do it. And the most I made was five seventy-five with one hundred and seventy-five each year of the last three years of, of uh, that deferred. But you know, you win twenty games, you get a fifteen thousand dollars raise. Right. If you want to sell young, they maybe throw in an extra five thousand. So we were incentivized to, to do as much as we could. Plus, like I told you, I room with Robin Roberts who. <laughs> What, he had 605 major league starts and, and 307 complete games? Yeah. I learned from one of the yeah. best. I don't know exactly how many innings you pitched. You do, I'm sure. You know how many batters you faced. How were you able to have the career you had, a great one, and never give up a grand slam? Well, Tim Kirchin, he's on baseball tonight. He used to write for the Baltimore Sun. 
So probably about five, six years now. You know, I'm out of the field early and watching them take, you know, they're not even, even hitting yet. They're, you know, Adam Jones and, you know, guys are they're working on their curveballs and their sliders and, you know, and throwing and all that. And he walks over and he said, uh, he's got a piece of paper with 13 names. He said, the boys in Bristol, that's where ESPN is, said, you won't know what these names are. And I, and I looked at it and I go, oh, must have been the guys I walked with the bases loaded. <laughs> so he goes, I told him you would know. And I said, well, let, wait, first of all, I said, I don't really remember walking 13 guys with the bases loaded, but it's the only logical answer to that piece of paper you just handed me. So one is a lot worse than four. Sure. <laughs> you know, I almost, um, you know, you well, you caught Dennis Eckersley. I, you might have been catching when in, in, in I had to win my last seven starts, and I'm going for number 19 because I wanted to win 20. I'd hurt my elbow, and I went from 12 and 8 to 13 and 12. So I'm going for number 19 against Eck on a on a Saturday afternoon in Cleveland, and he's dealing and pointing at guys, striking out <laughs> 10 or 12. And I get the bases loaded in the bottom of the eighth inning, 1-1 ball game, and they got Bruce Bakke, Andrew Thornton, and Rico Cardi coming up. So Bakke swings at, like the, swings at the fourth or five, fifth high fastball in a 2-2 count, strikes out. And that wasn't easy. He hit 300 <laughs> almost every year. Andy Thornton's their all-star, you know, RBI leader. Fastball up and in, pops it up to Belanger. I go, ooh, I may get out of this. Now, earlier in the year, Rico Cardi, who had led the National League in hitting right. about two years earlier at 366, and used to hit with a big smile on his face because he was so yeah. good and <laughs> talked to you, I'd thrown him a lone away slider. You know, and you always try to find information pitches. In other words, before you get to the bases loaded, you try to get, you know, throw low and away pitches. If they don't hit them, you keep throwing it low and away, or you ride the ball by them if they can't get to the up high fastball. You throw it there. Well, I'd throw him a slider, and he hit it about 430 <laughs> feet for a solo home run. So it was a, to me, a significant inf- information pitch. Number one, it was a solo home run. Number two, ooh, I don't know if I ever want to do that. So now I got the bases loaded, two outs, and I, I take, take a deep breath. I throw him a high fastball. Well, he takes it. He usually swings at that pitch, ball one, throw him another one. Take another, take another brief bet. He, he takes that one. Now it's 2-0. and oh, And I go, ooh, what do I do now? So I took a little bit off and just made try to throw it low and away, you know, made sure that I got over my front side and had a good extension. Hits it off the end of the bat. But in Cleveland, as you know, you home, all you hitters there, <laughs> they used to bring the fences in depending on, <laughs> on the year. So the fences are in. The wind's blowing out softly. Al Bumbry, you know, had been rookie of the year. He's about, Al's about 5'8". He goes back and back, and I'm on the foul line. It's a routine fly ball, except it keeps going, <laughs> and the bases are loaded. And I'm probably about 3,500 innings wow. into, into uh, you know, wow. throwing 39 in. And Al just, he doesn't jump over the fence. He just kind of reaches up, but it looks like it's over the mm-hmm. fence. And then, you know, Eck, who really pitched well, he's pointed at guys, and Eddie Murray and, and uh, Kenny Singleton hit back-to-back home runs. Yeah. And I went four to one, and um, I, I'm running the outfield the next day, and I see Eck, and I, I met him at a at a at a dinner in, in Erie, Pennsylvania, and I kind of got Eck and ease, yeah. you know, which is you know, <laughs> you know all the all the terms he has, and I told him, I said, Eck, I said, you really you outpitched me, I said, but I won, because I think the guys want to beat you bad enough, but pointing <laughs> at them and shooting them, you know, with that pistol, that makes them a little bit. I said, just strike them out, yeah. turn around, and because that's your job. And then I won in the eleventh inning, three to two, when Dempsey dumped a base hit wow. to win 20 so that's kind of what you had to do back there not because I had to do it but I don't know once you win 20 games or once you hit 300 if you're a hitter you want to do it every year and I think you know it comes down to how you know how how hard you really want to do it I mean when Mike Flanagan won the Cy Young Award you know in, in 79 I used to sit with him on the plane and he goes 
how'd you ever win 20 games yeah. eight times? I said, well, you got to be a little obsessed. Yeah, right. He said, I did it one time, and I thought, right. I, I can't believe how hard it was. Mm -hmm. But I think, again, playing on good teams, being prepared, you know, learning from Cal, Cal Ripken mm -hmm. Sr., that, hey, it's all about work ethic and preparation. Because, Ray, you know as well as yeah. I am, you know, the, the, the great athletes, you know, you look in the mirror, and you don't always succeed, but you feel good about yourself because you've done right. pretty much everything you need to do to try to be successful. Three different decades you pitched in the World Series. But the 1966, you hadn't even turned 20 yet, I don't think. No, I was 20. You were 20. I was, okay. I was about to turn 20. Okay, so, but, but you were young. What was that like for you to pitch in a World Series in 66 against the Los Angeles Dodgers and beat them the way you did? Well, it was Sandy Koufax, too. That's right. I mean, it's, well, just, just I, I, I didn't beat Koufax. Willie Davis dropped a couple of fly balls, picked the second one up and threw it in the dugout, so he got some unearned runs. <laughs> But it's funny, you know, again, you know, when, when you come up to the big leagues and you room with Robin Roberts, he talks about being, being not only a fan of the game, but being very attentive, mm -hmm. um, you know, attention to details. I think everybody that's any good, whatever you do, um, you're able to do that. So we played the Dodgers. They had one in 65. They had one in, what, 63. You know, they were the Dodgers. Sure. You know, Maury Wills and Tommy Davis had hurt his ankle, so he, he, you know, he still was a good hitter. They had Willie Davis. You know, they had a lot of good players. And they had Drysdale and Koufax. Well, because of the Jewish holidays, Koufax doesn't pitch um, the first game. Wow. Brooks and Frank Robinson hit Frank and Brooks Robinson hit home runs in the first inning. So I'm 20. I, you know, I'm about a week from turning 21. Dave McNally does not pitch well that game, and they bring in Mo Drabowski. and Mo strikes out 11 Dodgers in six and two thirds innings. Mm -hmm. So I'm here. I am at 20. I really, to be honest, all I wanted to do is pitch the next day and not embarrass myself <laughs> against Sandy Koufax because he was the greatest yeah. pitcher of that decade, one of the great left-handers of all times. So anyway, um, well, you know, Mo was throwing high fastballs, and he had a really good breaking ball, and he could throw hard. And, I mean, he just went up the ladder. Well, you know, when I was on my game, of course I didn't know I was going to be on my game the next <laughs> day when I'm sitting there, you know, the uh, game one, I, I go, well, I guess I'm going to try to do that. And the game, you know, I got him out in the first, and, you know, we get some runs off Sandy. I mean, he throws 23 of the first 27 pitches for strikes. Wow. Sounded like he's pitching poorly, Willie Davis. I mean, they were routine fly balls. They weren't, I mean, like he didn't have to run anywhere. He just, you know, high sky, not a clear, you know, Oakland sky where, you know, sure. you can lose balls easily over the years. Um, and, you know, we get some, you know, I win six to nothing. And we go back to Baltimore. Wally Bunker, who had been rookie pitcher of the year, but it had some shoulder problems. He beats him one nothing. Blair hits a home run off Claude Osteen. And then Frank Robinson, who had homered off Drysdale in game one, hits another home run. We win one nothing. So they never scored after, I think, the first inning uh, of game one. So it was just a situation where, um, uh, you know, we, we it's the Dodgers. We played well. Uh, they hit 125 for the, the World Series. And, I, you know, you played in World Series. I, I, yeah, you played. Yeah, you, you know, they, they go really fast. They Sometimes they go your way. When we lost to the Mets in five games, we won game one, and then it was a, you know it was just a series of right. horrors. But uh, the game speeds up. You know, we always talk about it happens for younger right. players or sometimes older players or sometimes teams right. when you get in a short series and you're playing a good ball club. So, I mean, I was really fortunate to play. And, I, you know, I, when I got in the Hall of Fame, I didn't get there by myself, and I got there because we had just had great organizations. Now, I wanted to ask you because, I, and you've been very, very generous with your time, but what does it mean to you? to be in the Hall of Fame. And, and I think what you said was perfect because the guy sitting behind you and your speech and the whole thing. But when you sign your baseball, Jim Palmer, all the great things that you did and put HOF 90 on that, what does that mean? Well, I give him a Reggie ball, you know. I mean, I, I do the 286 ERA. I do the, uh, the you know, the 820-time game. But, you know, I mean, Reggie, that's what Reggie ball. I think he even has his license plate on there. Um, 
Well, you know, it's funny. When I got inducted with, with the great Joe Morgan in, in 1990, mm-hmm. it, we got rained out. It's the only time it ever happened. Really? Yeah, wow. Now they have a, actually have a mm-hmm. uh, uh, kind of a, uh, an awning that I, you know, that covers, you know, they'll let the fans mm-hmm. get wet. But, right. you know, so they call it off. We had it in a gym on Mondays. So Sunday night we went back to the hotel and uh, they passed the microphone around. And, you know, I mean, here I am. I mean, I you what know, was 45. I'm young, you know, relatively young. I've lost my fastball, but um, uh, Ted Williams grabbed the microphone and he, you know, he he talked about how great it was to see Stan Musial back because apparently Stan had, you know, 3,630 hits, right. 1,815 at home. Right. How do you pull this off in 1,815 yeah. on the road? Well, you know, one year would have led the league in everything if he hadn't had a home run. He says, you know, it's great to see. Um, stand back with us and then you you realize and then Yogi Berra said something and you realize it's a I mean first of all you you know you wanted to, if, if, if you played against those guys you know you wanted to get Ted Williams out which wasn't easy obviously or Musial out or DiMaggio out or Mantle or whatever but now you're part of this really special fraternity so it's it's quite an honor and I um, you know I did vote for myself I, I, you know I, and, and, and it's kind of interesting Jack Lang was the uh, uh, baseball writer's president, and he said, listen, we're going to call you between 7 and 8 o'clock if you get in. I'm not going to tell you you, you you got in because I can't do that, but if you usually if you dominate an error, and I won more games <laughs> in the right. 70s, he said, you know, usually you get in if you win Cy Young Awards, whatever. But anyway, so I, I have a friend who has a restaurant uh, at the Orchard Inn here, and we he says, let's have some people over and, and celebrate. I go, well, what if I don't get in? He <laughs> said, well, we'll do it next year. I said, that could, that could get expensive. <laughs> no phone calls. Really? Quarter to nine. Uh, finally, the phone rings. Uh, they thought I was at uh, a crab house by the oh. name of Obrecki's, and they're trying to find out. They don't know where I am. Wow. You know, it's before cell phones sure. and all that. And uh, my stepson, um, you know, he, about 830, he says, uh, Jim, it's not looking good. <laughs> so <laughs> Jack Lang, I, you know, they said, there's a phone call for you. And I go to the phone. He said, I just Jack Lang. He said, I have, I have bad news for you and, and good news. He said, uh, the bad news is that uh, 33 writers didn't vote for you. The good news is 411 did. Wow. So yeah. that's how I found out I was in the Hall of Fame. But you know, Ray, it's it. You know, it's a special group. I don't think. I mean, I was never a guy. I mean, I know how important it was to play for the Orioles and have you know the great teammates I had. But I was never a guy. I don't think you could get caught up trying to pitch pitch your way to the Hall of Fame. All you do is because I learned early, and you know, you know, you win a World Championship, they take the, the World Championship away. You win twenty games, you start out zero and zero. I mean, you're you know, you're starting from scratch, and it's a great life lesson. Is that you know, every day you go to work or every day you, you know, you start to, you go back to your job. You just try to stay at a certain, uh, you know, standard and you hope it's a high standard. And uh, because of who I, you know, the organization I played and the uniform I wore, the Royals had, in the 20 years I played, had the highest winning percentage in baseball. We didn't always win the World Series we were in. We won three out of six. But again, uh, you know, it goes all the way back to when I was 17 years old. My parents said, I think you should sign with the Orioles. <laughs> Worked out pretty well. And you know what? I, I was just thinking as, as you were talking, I, I do have to ask you one other question. Because Ricky Henderson, who you, you know well, a yeah, great, yeah. you know, Hall of Famer yes. like yourself. But but I keep kidding him. I said, Ricky, just because your number's retired doesn't mean you can't try to come back. And he goes, really? And I said, because Jim Palmer did. <laughs> you have to talk about that. And, and then I'll let you go. But, I mean, trying to make a comeback. After your number's retired, you're in the Hall of Fame, and you go to Florida. What was that like? Tell us about that. Well, I mean, one of the writers said, you know, it was a midlife crisis, you know, <laughs> buy a Miata, be a Miata, you know, convertible Miata. Um, I worked for ESPN in 1990, the year I got in the Hall of Fame, and, and it was the first year they did it. 
they were in competition with every other network. And they didn't, you know, I mean, I got nominated for an Emmy, so I guess I did a good job. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd, you know, I started doing national television in 78. Right. You know, they told me to watch the one-game playoff between the Red Sox and the Yankees. If the Yankees win, you'll go broadcast wow. with Cosell and, and um, Keith Jackson. You know, and that's a home, that Bucky Den home run. I, every time I see Bucky, I said, yeah, the reason I'm a broadcaster is because of you, thank God. But so anyway, I mean, it's just, you know, uh, so I, 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 I get home and my agent, you know, a well-known agent here, lawyer, yeah. Harvard guy, Ron Shapiro, you know, he was agent for Cal Ripken yeah. and Eddie Murray, Kirby Puckett. He says, well, you know, the deal that they did, the option, they don't want to pick it up because the ratings weren't any good. And. I simply said, so is Joe Morgan and John Miller and Chris Berman taking pay cuts? And he goes, well, I, I don't know. I said, we'll find out. Well, I had been, I was, you know, I worked for Jockey for 19 years. I did all their ads and store appearance. I'd been in Buffalo, and I was coming home. I got my stepson, <laughs> got a glove and uh, <laughs> a, a baseball, and got a glove for him. And I went over to the gym across the street in, at Park School in Baltimore, and I started throwing because I figured, you know what? And my lawyer had said, you know what? He said, at some point, if, 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 if you're, you know, you're 45, uh, I still thought I could pitch. But when, when I retired, my girls were 13 and 15. Mm-hmm. I've been away their whole lives. Right. And I just didn't think it was worthwhile. I mean, I, I worked for Jockey. I, I, I worked for ABC because I was doing mm-hmm. the playoffs if we weren't in them and so on and whatever. And I actually probably made more money <laughs> doing that than otherwise. But I go, you know, ESPN – not that they were unappreciative. They wanted me to work for them. They just wanted me to work for less money. And they wanted me to sign a three-year deal. So it was very nice of them. Um, I go, you know what? I'll try to come back. And uh, if not, I'll, I'll, I'll broadcast for them or I'll broadcast for the Orioles. And so I, you know, I started throwing. Um, I, you know, I always had a department in, in, in Miami or Key Biscayne because you know, we trained there for years. I, um, one of the great stories, I called Ron Frazier, who was the coach at the University of Miami baseball team. And I said, Ron, do you have a you know, I, I need to start throwing off a mound. So I went over there at 3 o'clock, and they had a guy named Laser Colazzo who was their uh, <laughs> assistant pitching coach, and I start throwing. Now, I haven't thrown in about yeah. seven years off a mound, right, <laughs> other than maybe the fantasy camps. And he goes, you know, for a guy that's getting in the Hall of Fame, I don't really like your windup. And I looked oh, at him, and I said, Laser, I'm in the Hall of <laughs> Fame. <laughs> oh, it was one of those classic looks and all that. He goes, well, I still don't like your uh, windup. So anyway, you know, I went to spring training, and I actually hurt my hamstring yeah. playing tennis. And, uh, you know, it was the right one, the one you push off of. Yeah. So I actually tore it wow. and then pitched the two innings because I figured, you know what, this is it. It's the swan song. I, I was just hoping that, they, you know, if a horse breaks down, they don't right. bring out the curtain and give you the injection, yeah. the lethal <laughs> injection. I thought they were going to, you know, do that out in the bullpen. Uh, I think Tom Brown was our minor league pitching coach, and uh, Dick Bosman was a major league, and he was over watching another game, and he was going to join it, you know, come over for the game. He said, I said, I think I just popped my hands right. I never had any problems, yeah. you know. He goes, well, hey, take two weeks off. I go, oh, no, no, they're <laughs> yeah. going to put me down. So, you know, I tried it. it. It was a great experience because I think as a broadcaster, baseball, it's a great way to, you know, it's a great way to watch baseball, but, but it also slows the game down. Mm-hmm. You know, you sit down in, in the dugout or in the first row, game is pretty fast. Right. Um, you know, why did, how come he couldn't hit that breaking ball? You know, how did he miss that? How did he come and pop it up? How come that guy can't throw the ball alone away? I think it gives you a good perspective, yeah. whether you're 45 or 25, that um, the game is pretty difficult to play. Um, but, again, like I've said, I was pretty blessed. I, I'm just happy to be around baseball. Yeah. Uh, you know, I still enjoy it. I, I'm much better broadcaster when the <laughs> Orioles win. <laughs> we right. weren't, I wasn't very good last year. <laughs> they only won 47 games. 
The great Hall of Famer Jim Palmer, what a time he has spent with us and uh, telling his, his great experience. Best of luck to you. It's tremendous as always to see you. I can't believe your memory. I always think about uh, the, the late um, uh, Bob Feller. I mean, he's talking about the war, war, and you're talking about 1966 just like it happened yesterday. Great, great stuff. But it's, it's dimming. <laughs> no, no, yeah, you know, Never no, for you. No, well, no. You know, I mean, it's funny. You know, it's, that's the great thing about yeah. baseball. I sat next to a guy once, and, you know, he, he did learning seminars using your brain and maximizing, and I said, you know, it's probably – I'm, what, I'm 73. It's probably five or six years ago. We're flying into, we get diverted to Fort Lauderdale from West Palm Beach. And I said, so if I stop broadcasting, give me uh, an over and under and how long it would take my brain to turn into a melon. He goes, give you about 18 months. <laughs> so I'm happy I have a job. <laughs> uh, you know, I hope the Orioles have a pretty good year. We have a very good young ball club. And hey, you know what? Keeps you active. Yeah. Um, I really like seeing a lot of people like you that, you know, I got to play against. And you know, we were actually on that uh, All-Star yeah. game, my first All-Star game in 1970. So, uh, my again, first one too. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, great to see you again, as always. All right, that is the great Hall of Famer, Jim Palmer. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Okay, picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.